come to the time where we hear God's word, that we will know how to live in light of Him. Have you ever played hide and seek? I'm sure most of you have, but let me remind you of the rules. You must hide your whole body, and if you stay hidden, you continue to be in the game. If any part of your body is seen, you are out. Now, have you played this game with a toddler or a baby? They hide their faces, and because they can't see you, they reason you can't see them. It's cute that we all laugh about it, but what if the stakes were higher? What if it was not a game and our very lives depended on staying hidden? Like hiding from the Nazis or a group of terrorists. If we were all hiding and I stepped out of the group and covered my face only, I would be communicating either that I think the shooters were blind or the shooters had no power to punish me. Either way, I would be saying I have no fear of those terrorists. This is the description of the priest in the book of Malachi. The priests in the book of Malachi hid their faces behind their religious activities and communicated that God was neither blind, he was either blind or had no power to judge them. It wasn't the terrorists that they had no fear of. They had no fear of God. This morning I want to address this message to two kinds of people. And the two kinds of people only. The rest of you can wait until David Bissett gets back for another message. These two people are those who have no fear of God and those who are living like we have no fear of God. Let us read Malachi verses 1 to 9. That's Malachi verses 1 to 9. I'm reading from the New English Standard Version of the Bible. It's a new one, by the way. It's hard to turn the pages. Let's read and now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces the dung of your offering, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. 
For the lips of the priest shall guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abased before all the people. And as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, kindly make us. For your son's sake. Amen. The previous section spoke of priests as representatives of the people and their attitude toward their worship of God. But this section, the section we just read, focus, focuses primarily on the fact that the priests were unfaithful to the covenant God and the tribe of Levi when he brought the people out of Egypt. The priest was unfaithful to the covenant, but God remained faithful. And 2 Timothy declares, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If you find yourself faithless this morning, maybe you are faithless when it comes to your children. How is God going to change the heart of my children to love him? Or maybe you are caught in a sin and find the road to get out isn't as easily as you got into it. Maybe the, strong, maybe the strong mind you took pride in doesn't seem to help you in the struggle against sin. Remember this. He remains faithful and he cannot deny himself. Lean on his ability to heal instead of your ability to stand. I spent a considerable amount of time on this book last time and we looked at it. So I just want to emphasize that the book of Malachi is a book about worship. It is constructed to address the differences between ritualistic formalism and worship that is acceptable to God. The book of Malachi is not only the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet himself is traditionally the end of the prophetic activity. God was silent for over 400 years. And commentator William Lasore said there was a great distress in Israel such as not been seen since the time that the prophets ceased to appear among them. James Weldon Johnson, the author of Lift Every Voice and Sing, was not describing the plight of the Israelites during the intermestal period, but he could have been when he said and he wrote, God of your weary years, God of our silent this was a tough time for God's people. And any time God's people are suffering or need direction and can't seem to hear God's voice, it can be a weary and depressing time. So what do we do during that time? We review what God has already said and we wait. You read the study, you read and study his word during this trying time. We listen closely to the lessons he whispers to us, and we take heart and he teaches us because 
It provides us with grace for today and bright hope for tomorrow. It will be just the instructions you need when you get up the road on your faith journey. God is building our faith so that when we hear his voice again, we will be so appreciative. You know, like the thing you want and you haven't, haven't gotten it for a very long time. And then you finally get it. You're more appreciative. Maybe we've gotten too prideful about our ability to hear his voice and we need to be humble that it's not about our hearing, but God's ability to speak and cause us to hear. There's a phrase in the Bible that describes our God. It is the Lord of hosts. We read that. Understand that this term is significant if we want to feel the weight of it in this book. Actually, this term appears more frequently in Malachi than in any other Old Testament book. In terms of percentages, it appears more like 40%. And in the nine verses we will study this morning, it's present four out of the nine verses, more than 44%. So we should get a better understanding of the term. Let's turn to 2 Kings 6, verses 8 to 17. 2 Kings 6, 8 17. Don't ever preach with the new Bible. That's really bad. Verse 17 says, it doesn't say that, it's not right there. Second Timothy, Second Kings 6, 8 to 17. Eight. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place. For the Syrians are going down there, and the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Going down verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show us, will you not show me who of us is is for the king of Israel. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may sin and seize him. It was told of him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army and came at night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. But those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. 
So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around. That's our prayer today, that the Lord will open our eyes, that we'll see. In the post-exilic period of Malachi, the Persian our empire was massive, and Israel didn't have their own army. It is only when we are outnumbered and our situation is grim, like the story we just read, and it seems hopeless that we then appreciate our God is the Lord of hosts. When we are in the small number, and God, and we have God, we are still in the big number. If we are in a serious situation that appears hopeless or a predicament in which you see no way out, you're in a great place to trust the Lord of hosts. So you, you might be here today and you say, things are not looking great for me. Then you're in a great place to trust in the Lord of hosts. If you have everything you need and want, then you have no need to look for the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is all-powerful, and our God can see all things. If your back is up against the wall, then we need to pray like Elijah did. Oh, Lord, I pray, open my eyes that I may see. Now, let's look at the text that is before us this morning. We will not study these verses in order like a running commentary, but I want to introduce these five vital words that will help us better understand Malachi's message. It's standard. Problem, consequences, solution, and confirmation. The standard example of the priests, the problem with these priests, the consequences regarding these priests, the solution for the priests, and the confirmation to faithful priests and God's people. If you didn't know yet, we're talking about God's priests. In the book of Exodus, God made a covenant with Levi. God was responsible for blessing Levi and helping him instruct, pray for, and offer sacrifices for the people. In turn, the Levites had a part to play. In verse 7, we see that Levi was an example of a messenger of the Lord of hosts. He displayed truth and uprightness in his life and teaching. Verse 6, and B, there was fear and reverence towards God's name, and they turned many from iniquity. This was the standard example of a priest. Are you in a place where you are trying to evaluate leaders? If they claim to be Christian leaders, pastors, elders, or lay leaders, then they must measure up to the standard. Perfection is not the standard, but... Do they display truth and uprightness in their life and teaching? Do they have a general fear of God and seek to turn many from iniquities by their teaching and lives? If not, run away from them. Those are wolves. We evaluate our leaders based on the Bible, not first upon personality. And if your leaders are falling short, then what is our responsibility? We are to pray. We ought to pray that God will help. The Levites were to lead the people in worship. And here was where we find the problem. In verse 6, chapter 1, God said, O priests who despise my name. So God is addressing the people who are supposed to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. These are the people who are defiling God's altar. 
In verse 10 of chapter 1, God said, I'm not pleased with you, nor will I accept your offering from you. In verses 12 and 13, the priest said, the Lord, the table of the Lord is defiled and is fruit. We are tired. And this, and then they offer things that were taken by robbery. God declares he is a great king, and his name is feared among the nations. Chapter 2 is now concentrating specifically on these corrupted priests. As verse 1 states, and now this commandment is for you, O priests. This is the context. And we will jump down to verse 8 and 9 for our first point. In verses 8 and 9, we find a problem with these priests. These priests turned aside from the way, and their instruction had caused many to stumble. They corrupted the covenant of Levi, and they failed to teach the whole law. As we studied in the last chapter, these priests were offering lame and blind sick animals to the Lord. They were going through the motions, but their hearts were far from God. Maybe they offered blind goats because they thought the Lord was blind. Because his judgment was not swift, they erroneously concluded that God couldn't see or have no power to judge. But this is why Malachi uses the title, the Lord of Hosts, to remind them that though God is merciful, he does not turn a blind eye to sin. Why does God wait to judge the wicked? Does anyone besides the psalmist and me wonder that? Why does God wait? Why, didn't, why doesn't he just swiftly judge sin? Jeff was an older boy who lived on our block for a short time. He was from North Carolina, actually. He moved up and he moved to the Bronx. So he had a funny way of speaking. Some of my peers looked up to him and tried, and he tried to teach us many life lessons. When I was 11 years old, I can't believe I wrote this. Maybe I should skip this part. <laughs> all right, all right. I was 11. Don't forget. When I was 11 years old, I threw a big object from the seven-story roof. I thought it would bring me instant fame on my block, but when I came outside a little later, my friends were talking about how stupid the person who was throwing the objects off the roof was. I was comforted that no one saw me, so I didn't own it, and I didn't worry. I was comforted just for a little time. Over a series of two weeks, Jeff asked me questions like, if Mrs. Jones from the sixth floor got hit with the object, what would you do? Do you know that a person could be tried for manslaughter if that object killed somebody? If you saw who it was that threw that object, what would you do? I would tell everybody, Jeff said, you would? <laughs> okay. About 15 days, I asked Jeff, if I found out who did that, what should I tell the person? Jeff said, if you find out who that person is, then you should tell him to go and apologize to Mrs. Collins on the fourth floor because it almost after a couple of days, I sheepishly knocked on the door, 
Mrs. Collins don't apologize. She was a Christian. And she forgave me. She said Jeff had told her the day after the incident happened that he saw me. But they both waited because he believed I would make the right choice. And she wanted me to experience forgiveness. God wants the wicked to repent and embrace life. God sees and God waits. One of the reasons is that he desired that none should perish, but that all come to repentance. These priests had twisted everything. God is not lackadaisical. He is not, he is long-suffering, and for the believer, God is not feeble. God is faithful. Did you hear me? I don't know if you heard me. God is not feeble. God is faithful. We see the problem. These priests were not worshiping God according to his prescribed way of worship. God looks on the heart of men, and these priests' hearts were far from God. We see the problem, and God declares that their problem is sin, and there are consequences to sin. In verse 2, God outlines the consequences regarding these priests. The middle of the verse 2, or middle of verse 2, God declares, I will send a curse upon you. God had made a covenant with Levi, and he already prescribed a blessing for keeping his commandments, and the curse for breaking his commandments. We find it in the book of Deuteronomy 27, or chapter 27, and chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 28, there are curses, but they are all wrapped up in an umbrella of curse. Malachi 2.3 states, I will rebuke your offspring. The whole curse will come upon these priests. But Malachi is only using one example to represent the whole. You will find this in Deuteronomy 28.18. These priests are going to be judged rightly. God goes on to say that he will spread and or scatter dung on their faces. This may take some explaining. The priests were going through the motions and offering unacceptable animals. They were probably meticulous when the animal came in and sure to follow some of the laws by the letter. These priests were prideful and hid behind their religious duties. They probably prided themselves on how careful they were to follow Exodus 29:14. If you turn into it, you will find that the bull was to be sacrificed, but the refuge shall be burned with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. The same word is used in Malachi 2.3. In Malachi 2.9, God said, I have made you despised and humiliated to all the people. These priests were prideful, and God was going to humiliate them. There's nothing dignified or honorable about having animal waste spread all over your face in front of the people so you desperately try to impress. Their sin will be made public and they will not be able to spread their wickedness because they will have no seed. Their offspring will be rebuked. 
worse still, that refuge was to be put outside the camp and burned with fire. These priests and their faces will be put out and cut off from the nation of Israel and be burned in judgment. Because God is able to humble those who walk in pride. Daniel 4, 37. 1 Samuel 2, 7 says, He humbles and he exalts. Your eyes are set against the proud. You humble them. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Matthew 23, 12. These were the consequences for those unfaithful priests unless they embrace the solution. The solution for the priests is found in verse 2. They had to listen to God's command and take it to heart. Many of you have heard many messages. You probably can't count them. If you're over 50, and then you multiply that times 52, that's a lot of messages. That's a lot of messages to hear and digest. This is number, I don't know, 1,000. 1,001, I'm asking you to take it to heart. What is that? Take it to heart. Pay attention to the words. If it applies to you and you need to repent, then repent. Take it to heart. God's command was to give glory to his name. They had to repent. They had to embrace God's ways and turn from their wicked ways. Verse 2 starts with the hypothetical participle. If you do this, then this will happen. Or that will happen. God was giving them an opportunity to repent. The verb used in take it to heart is a reflexive. It causes the object of the verb to participate in the action. These priests were not participating in the action of worship. They were giving, they were going through the motions, but God was calling them to heart action. Worship is not something that happens to you. I want to repeat that. Worship is not something that happens to you. Most of my... The first part of my Christian life, it was about worship happening to me. And I wouldn't move unless the worship hit me. So I would sit there, oh, there it is, hey, yeah, there it is, oh! No, 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 it doesn't hit you. You participate in the worship. You say to yourself, when you hear the call of worship, Come into his house with thanksgiving, into his course of praise. If you were sleeping, if you were daydreaming, then you'd wake up out of that slumber and you say, yes, I'm in worship. It's time for me to engage. It's not time for me to sit there and watch some man jump around, spin around, drive up my emotions, and then I'm participating. You participate when you hear, the, hear that organ. Okay, get ready. Get ready. Participate. But those priests were not participating in the act of worship. They were going through the motion, but God was calling them. Worship is not something that happens to you. When we gather together, we all have a part to play. Every year I'm reminded of the priests when Ash Wednesday comes around. When I think of Ash Wednesday, it reminds me of priests in the book of Malachi. I don't know if many of you know about Ash Wednesday. 
if you don't grow up in a very Roman Catholic area, you don't, you, you may not realize about it. I didn't. So when I moved up here, it was just bizarre to me. It looked like the day of the dead. Everybody was coming out with these black things on their head. I'm like, what's happening? Are we in America? What's happening? Is somebody being marked by the Nazis? I don't know what was going on. It was just so weird. But now I know that Protestants also practice Ash Wednesday and the Lent season. But so many Roman Catholics I know and work with went to their, get their ashes smeared on their head in the morning. But it didn't affect their conversation or their conduct. It is so strange to see ashes on the top of somebody's head as a symbol of Christ. Because really what they do is they put an X by the time you get to where you're going it just looks like you know, something, I don't know, looks weird or something. But it was supposed to be this, but yet you see this death of Christ on their head, and they're participating in foul language and coarse jesting. It just seems bizarre. Those ashes were their worship. It was something that happened to them and not something they participated in. It was the head. But the head and the mouth didn't agree. It was confusing. It could lead many down the road of iniquity. For me, this was the present picture of the priest in Malachi. But let's not get too snug about our own condition before the Lord. Worship is not a spectator sport. Worship is about participation. Worshiping God is not some mindless ritual, but is actively participating in a corporate activity. Let's not be like the priests in Malachi. What should we do during worship? Well, to some, it may sound strange, but you are a believer. God is expecting you to participate in every aspect of worship. The call of worship is a time when you listen and take it to heart. You put distractions out of your mind and you focus on the Lord of hosts. The scripture reading is a time to listen to God speaking and asking ourselves, what is the Lord saying to me? The song of praise and hymns is a time to express our love and appreciation for God's willingness to speak to us and his loving kindness. The pastoral prayer is a time for us to silently agree with the prayers offered on our behalf by the preacher. Or if the preacher's not uh, praying right, then you don't agree. Our offering is a time to express our love and appreciation by building up the local church with God-ordained way of advancing his kingdom. The sermon is a time to listen again to God's voice and take it to heart. In which part of the worship service have you acted like the priest in Malachi? I used to check out during worship. Today is confession day, isn't it, huh? I don't know if you know, before there was iPods, there was these little headphones that go inside your ear. I used to go to church service and put those in. And when I see the preacher come up, then I take it off. What was that? That was silliness. You participate, I'm supposed to participate in all the worship. If I can't, then I shouldn't be at that church. I should be somewhere else. That was just plain silliness. But those priests had no fear of God. We are not 
so removed from them. We are slow to acknowledge our own sin. And let us not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whoever, whatever soever man sows, that he will also reap. All sin, have, all of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. These priests were cursed because Deuteronomy 27, 26 states, Curses he who do not confirm the words of this law by doing them. These priests were not doing the law. Let us not be too smug about it, for all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who was just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Romans 2, 12 and 13. Because we are all born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and we are all under a curse. We were born in sin and we can't follow the Lord perfectly. The man, Christ Jesus, came to earth and lived a perfect life. The Bible teaches in Deuteronomy 21, 23, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ hung on the tree and redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. You can be free today if you would only receive Christ as your substitute before God. But for the people living in the year 2023, God's word in the book of Hebrews seems to be appropriate when the writer says, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think you will reserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And regardless and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, he has insulted the Spirit of grace. I can't say for sure that all the priests in the book of Malachi were corrupt, but if there were a few who were righteous, then there is a confirmation to those faithful priests and God's people in general. In Malachi 2 verse 4, when these wicked priests, priests' seed is rebuked and their sin exposed, the people will know that God has spoken. When these priests are cut off and judged, they will know that this commandment came from the Lord. They will know that God has the power to judge and deliver. They will know, and we will know, that God is able to separate the wheat from the chaff and establish the covenant with Levi forever in the life and death of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, God saw the hidden things in the priest, and God still sees. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Maybe God pinpointed something in your life this morning that doesn't measure up to your profession of faith. Take it to heart. Fear God and repent. Repent and ask him to grant you a closer walk with him in, the area, in that area of your life. God exposed the sin of the priests of Malachi by shining light, the light of his law on their lives. Has God exposed your sin this morning? If so, God has sent his son into the world to live that perfect life and to die that perfect death and to be that perfect sacrifice 
as a substitute for you. Just acknowledge your sin, repent, and receive Christ for the forgiveness of sins. God sent the curses on the priests who had no fear of him and refused to give glory to his name. He judges his people so that the covenant he has established will continue. Our God, the Lord of hosts, has enough power to separate the sheep from the goats, to judge and to save, to sweep away and to keep, to be the just and the justifier, to baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Who can destroy both body and soul? We can escape sin, and it's, we cannot escape skin and its eternal consequences. We must receive God's word. Take it to heart. Take it to heart. I plead with you this morning. This is a matter of eternal death. Take it to heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an incomprehensible but prayer-hearing God, known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed. My wants and welfare draws me to you. O God, attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. I need the same counsel, defense, comfort I found at my beginning. Lord, I need it even more. Because I'm aware of it even more. Let my faith be more obvious to my conscience, more perceptible to those around. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his praise. You have led me on and I have found thy promise true. We all have, Lord. And I have been sorrowful, but you have been my help. Fearful, but you have delivered me. Despairing, but you have lifted me up. Your words of assurance are ever upon me. And we praise you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray.